What's up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita, with a special emergency podcast today on Thursday, October 24th, 2019. The Cubs have announced a new manager this morning. They announced David Ross will become the next Cubs manager. He will replace Joe Madden, and we are going to analyze this, talk about how this came about and what this means for the Cubs this winter as they move into the 2020 season. I can't believe we're already almost there. Baseball is almost over. So we're going to get into that. There's some other managerial news, and we'll see if we get any breaking news while we're on the air here. I've got a an excellent guest joining me right now. He is a very experienced sports journalist, uh, has taught me so much about this craft in terms of radio, but especially writing, really someone that I look up to so much in this business, guys. He's taught me so much in the halls of Valparaiso University, and man, it's starting to feel like this is WVUR all over again, right, Brandon Vickery? Oh, Jack, first of all, very kind of you to say that. Excited to be with you. We've been texting and talking about doing something like this for a long time now, and I wanted to come on the podcast, so I'm excited to to be on board for the first time. And yeah, it's a little bit of a reunion feel, because this <laughs> is what we would do uh, years back uh, during undergrad, and so now we're able to talk sports again, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, it was. I saw you over the weekend, too. I was up in Michigan, and I stopped by Valparaiso's men's basketball preseason game, which you were working, which I should note, you are now working in media relations at Valparaiso University. Can I say that on here? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was lucky to, right when I finished up undergrad, transition into working full-time in athletics media relations. Um, worked with our women's basketball team both during undergrad and for the last three years working full-time now and now going into year four here and uh, handling men's basketball at Valpo for the first time along with numerous other programs so I love what I do busy job uh, doing it Um, but it's I guess is it really work Jack if you're able to be around (laughs) sports and watch games all the time there's certainly a lot of work with it (laughs) yeah but when you're enjoying it I guess it's uh it's not as much but it was good to see you on Saturday and excited you were able to make it back for some Valpo basketball here yes very very good point about work and being in sports so much fun uh And yeah, it was a good time on Saturday. Hopefully, I'll be able to make it to a regular season game sometime in the near future. Can't believe we're almost at college basketball season. But folks, I saw Brandon on Saturday, and we chatted a little bit. We've been keeping in touch about when are we going to get this move? What's going to happen? I knew that I had to bring out Brandon once we got some big news with this Cubs manager thing. And I basically said, all right, Brandon, I I want you to be ready on the call. I want you to be ready to come in, pinch hit, come out of the bullpen. Uh, And we got the news just a couple days later, and now here we are. Yeah, it's uh, we knew it would be coming soon. It was kind of about that time of year for this managerial announcement. Uh, I definitely have mixed emotions about it, Jack, (laughs) that we'll get into here shortly. Yes, for sure. Also, I should add, Brandon... Uh, you follow this Cubs team very closely, as you have your whole life, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it started from probably about third grade is when I really got uh, got into it, right about the time that uh, leading into the, the Bartman year of 2003, <laughs> oh, and the, no. the trip to the LCS. 
and uh, became fascinated with it at that point. And Jack, I've always uh, enjoyed, especially Cubs baseball on the radio. Um, I will always turn down the sound on the TV and always listen to the radio broadcast. But growing up, I would uh, ride my rollerblades while listening to Pat Hughes and Ron Sano on 720 WGN and just be outside all day long uh, uh, rollerblading or doing whatever else outside with the the uh, old school transistor radio in listening to Pat and Ron call the Cubs games. So that's kind of how I grew up on Cubs baseball. And, and it's been one of those things where working in sports day to day, it limits your time outside of sports as far as watching the team because I'm so busy working with our teams here at Valpo. But baseball being in the summer, that's uh, one of our easier times, although I work summer league as well. But you have to have that one team that you're really passionate about at the professional level that makes sports fun still. It's still a hobby outside of work. And that, for me, is the Chicago Cubs. Wow. What what memories there? I guess that's kind of uh, where the fandom began, and I think everybody has their story like that, but um, still that special moment came, I guess, a couple years ago in, in tw- uh, 2016. Yeah. So to, to be able to hear that moment and to listen to the radio like always while watching it unfold was pretty special. Yes, very special indeed. So we, folks... You've all heard we've got the right guy on board to talk about this today. Uh, It's going to be a great conversation. I should also put out a little disclaimer that this podcast could end up being pretty Cubs heavy. Uh, But if you're looking for something outside of Chicago, I did do a World Series preview with Chase Beebe just a couple nights ago. So you might want to check that out. But we are going to get into this right now. Let's do it, Brandon. So, David Ross, long time coming, right? We, how long would you say you were expecting this for a little while, Brandon? Yeah, oh yeah. I think the second that it was clear that Joe wasn't going to come back, which was probably with about two weeks left in the regular season still, David Ross was the first name that came to mind. But at that point, was it still just a hope of the fan base or was it reality? But I think even right after the end of the regular season, the rumors started to become pretty clear. And when you looked at the candidates that the Cubs were looking at, it to me very much, for the most part, looked like a field of guys that... Uh, They were just interviewing for the sake of interviewing. And then you had David Ross. And certainly Espada and Girardi were both considered, I think, especially Espada getting that second interview. But this was David Ross's job to lose from the get-go. And clearly he didn't lose it through that interview process. Um, I mean, the big question, Jack, is will it be a positive, a negative, or no impact that he has deep relationships with a lot of the players on the team. What are the challenges going to be like when David Ross goes out there to, to take John Lester out of a game and John yeah. Lester doesn't want to come out? How is that relationship going to work? There are certainly some positives involved in that too. I mean, we all saw Anthony Rizzo break down in tears at the victory parade talking about David Ross. So there's clearly, I think, a desire among Cub players to please David Ross. I was reading some tweets today. Gary Cohen, who used to uh, be the editor of Vineline, the magazine that actually no longer in print. It was a great magazine. Uh, and he tweeted out a series of quotes today from a story that he did on David Ross back in 2016. And boy, glowing comments from his teammates 
talking about how much they respected David Ross and how much they looked at him as a manager. And from Theo at that point uh, and Joe at that point saying, hey, David Ross is going to manage someday. He checks all the boxes. And that was three years ago when he was finishing up his playing career. So there are a lot of positives, I think, to bring in David Ross. You bring in a guy who is well-respected in that clubhouse, who guys will listen to and want to succeed for. Now I think you bring in a lot of questions too, and it's questions not only about the Cubs organizations, but out, but about the state of managers in Major League Baseball on a whole. Yeah. When you bring in a guy who has never, not only never managed a game at any level, minors or in the big leagues, but never even coached in a game at the big league level, um, never been a you know, bench coach or anything like that to transition into this role. Uh, that's interesting to me. I know it's been the trend. The Cubs are far from uh, trailblazers in this sense, but you replace a Hall of Fame type manager in Joe Madden with a guy who's never done the job before. So although I see huge benefits of David Ross being in the position, and as a fan, if you're a Cub fan, you love David Ross, yeah. and there's an excitement to see what's going to happen, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to sell tickets, and I can't wait to watch him manage the Cubs. But there is that question in my mind, Jack. Are they really getting a better manager than they had this season? Well, Brandon, I just think it feels like Major League Two all over again, that we got Jake Taylor going from the veteran catcher over to the manager's spot. Right. It's like this isn't supposed to be reality, is it? This isn't how it's really supposed to happen. And what other job do you go from being the pupil to the boss with no uh, no pro- like steps in between? Like, you know, shouldn't you shouldn't there be a progression? I mean, even Ryan Sandberg, when he wanted to manage, it was basically told, hey, you need to go to Class A and manage the Peoria Chiefs and get some experience before you become a big league manager. He didn't just get the manager. Well, he wasn't handed the managerial job. I think Ryan Sandberg went up against Mike Quaddy, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. for the Cubs, <laughs> Cubs managerial job. And he didn't get it because of no coaching experience. I guess that, that could be pointed toward uh, Ross's favor, too, because you look at Quaddy having a ton of uh, – experience coaching at the big league level didn't help him or some of those other cub hires that followed him so uh, i don't know i'm clearly split on this i think my head yeah. tells me it's not a good hire but my okay. heart tells me it is so well we uh, will get into it i just wanted to comment say it feels yeah. more like a movie than real life right right <laughs> so let's brandon let's back it up for a second here let's talk about the process of how we got there how we got to this point and the interview process the guys who were considered you mentioned that you really think only three guys were really considered and i i happen to agree with you on that it really felt like while they talked to girardi and while i'm sure there was some consideration because joe girardi keep in mind the this front office tried to pry him from the yankees back in 20 at the end of 2013 so there's history there in the ALEs to be kind of similar to Madden coming over here from the Rays and the veteran manager, all that. But it really felt like at the end of the day, we were looking at this Espada versus Ross thing. It's kind of interesting how it ended up taking us three weeks. I think it took three full weeks to get to this point to make a decision. And ultimately, I think the Cubs ended up holding up some of the decisions for some of these other managers. I think Joe Girardi wanted to come here, which we can talk about in a second. But when we talk 
earlier this season, and I was saying this on a podcast I was talking about with uh, your good friend and mine, Jordan Morandini, who could potentially replace Madden. David Ross was the guy that we kept coming back to. Like David Ross is automatically going to be in consideration. And it seems like at this point that they made up their minds long time ago. Follow that trend. Let's uh, hire a guy that we don't have to pay a whole lot. This is someone from the front office who is going to comply with a lot of the things that we want to do. And is going to be on the same page with us. And there won't be as much back and forth if you want to look at uh, movie representation, the back and forth. If you look at Moneyball and all the hatty conversations and all that. So... What do you think? Why don't you share some thoughts on this whole search process? Yeah, I think the relationship with the front office was certainly an advantage for Ross from the get-go. And it seems like Theo and Jed want someone who is going to do it their way and will yeah. take their input on everything from lineups to bullpen management. And, and not only it's not just Theo and Jed making these calls uh, on their own by themselves. They want someone who will listen to what the analytics staff says, what these other front office members uh, will say, and not a manager that's just kind of randomly putting a lineup out there based on a gut feeling. So they think they want everything backed up by numbers. David Ross is going to have a voice. I don't think he's going to unilaterally be making a lot of decisions as the manager of the Chicago Cubs. And I think that's why the Cubs got rid of Joe Madden. And I think that's why they didn't go with Joe Girardi. I believe I saw something from a reporter uh, talking about Girardi in regard to the Phillies job is that he liked it there because he was going to be given a lot of control of the lineup and the day-to-day operations of the team. And that's something that an experienced guy who's done it before, like Joe Girardi, was going to want. And that's not what the Cubs were looking for at this time in that managerial role. And they wanted someone who is well-liked among fans, that can be a good leader to uh, for the team, that is well-respected among players, that will get on guys and hold guys accountable when they're not performing. But most of all, and I don't know that this is a good thing, I think most of all they wanted a puppet for the front office. Yeah. In that managerial role. And Theo and Jed have certainly done great things on the north side of Chicago as head Joe Madden. You cannot take anything away from the guys that won the first World Series since 1908 with the Chicago Cubs. But at the same time, like Joe Madden, Theo and Jed have had some faults in recent years. So now that they're taking over perhaps more control of the team, I think that if this doesn't work out, Theo Epstein should not be able to hire the next manager of the Chicago Cubs. I think uh, they're all in on David Ross and themselves now managing this team going forward. Yeah, it's starting to feel a little similar to Theo's abrupt ending in Boston in 2011 when his contract was starting to come up. And now we're still two years away from that, but they were hurt by some bad contracts, some bad trades that the organization made. And just kind of found themselves in a time where they had to create a new identity, make some moves, dump some of those salaries. So we'll see how these next couple of years play out. Uh, other stuff that we will get to in this episode. But you mentioned that idea of if this doesn't work out, Theo should not get to pick the next manager. I'm just curious if, let's just say in a hypothetical where the Cubs do not move up from this, and they let's say they stay around an 84-82 win team 
that finishes above 500 but doesn't make the wild card in two years from now, I mean, I would not be surprised if Theo just said, ah, I could find another situation or I could get into, I could do Paul D. Podesta and get into football. I could go into politics, <laughs> you know, right. pursuing other opportunities if this thing does not end up getting better. Yeah, I see that as a realistic scenario that although Theo is clearly one of the masterminds and one of the all-time greats yeah. in his position, the Cubs have set the the standard that hey, that's not good enough. They just, you know, they did that with the managerial role. I think you can only keep turning certain spots over so many times when you look back the cubs turned over the pitching and hitting coach jobs saying hey this is where our level of accountability is right now we haven't performed the way we wanted to following the world series we haven't created the dynasty that we expected with that talent so we're going to hold the pitching and hitting coaches accountable and then when you're on your third pitching coach and third hitting coach in three years now you're at the point where hey we need to hold the manager accountable so joe madden is gone and now if you uh, you move on to another manager and you're still in the same spot three, two, three years from now, then you have to look uh, on up the ladder, I think. Yes, very interesting. So I, I agree with that. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I want to comment on these manager, these candidates who got brought in. So we yeah. jo- Joe Espada, which we're, we'll have to talk about how the ultimate there's an ultimate deciding factor between him and David Ross. Stick around for that. It's a very interesting one. I'm sure you read about that, Brandon. Um, but we got Gabe Kapler, Joe Girardi, Will Venable, uh, David Ross, and Mark Loretta. Right? That's that's all the names, correct? Yeah, those are the those are the six candidates, and it was never really going to be Kapler or Venable yeah. or Loretta. Um, Venable, a guy that's been around the organization and is well-liked. You want to get him a chance to maybe get some experience interviewing, but you weren't going to go with him. Loretta received some consideration, maybe more so than Venable, but another guy that uh, just would have been kind of like, like you pre- you fire Joe Madden and then you promote the number two to Joe Madden. Like that would have <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, how could Theo and, and Jed have spun that um, from a media standpoint, they want. I think they wanted to make a, a splashy hire in some regard, be it a Joe Girardi type or you know a Joe Madden type. That was such a splashy hire when it happened. So that's kind of. I think they really care about the media narrative, and uh, they wanted to create some type of narrative, and they did that clearly with David Ross. But so I think uh, we can dismiss three of those candidates from yeah. even really discussing. But we can get into maybe the other candidates. Yeah, I think ultimately what happened was the front office set the tone that they weren't going to turn anyone away who wanted to apply for the job, especially people that they had history with. Uh, now, obviously, I couldn't walk into that office and say, hey, I want I want to be the next manager. Uh, that, that would not be happening. But Gabe Kapler, history, he did manage a minor league team with the Red Sox organization. Uh, and then these other couple of guys, especially if they're going to interview David Ross from the inside, they, I think a lot of it was just out of respect that those guys got interviews. It was just out of common courtesy. But it's almost like, at that point, why even waste their time? Because we heard that some of these interviews were taking a full eight hours. And if I 
if I, Brandon, if I interviewed for a job for eight hours, I'd be like, all right, that was a full work day for me. Like I better get some, like at least give me, give me minimum wage for this or something. Yeah. But I do think it, it's still valuable for both sides. Cause when you bring say an Espada in, if you're Theo in the front office, you're learning things from him about their organization. Yeah. And if you're on the other side of that, hopefully, especially if you're like a Venable, uh, you're maybe learning things about what the process is like to interview to be a manager, if that's True. something you want to do someday. Or Loretta, another young former player uh, that uh, has now, I think, also interviewed for the San Diego job. So he's and we've seen Cubs bench coaches move into managerial roles yeah. each each of the last two years. Um, if Loretta would have or still does find somewhere to land as a manager, uh, that would have to be some type of record to have three straight years where your bench coach becomes a manager somewhere else the following season. But, um, yeah, so I think there's experience and knowledge gained on both sides. Any type of detailed conversation, I think think can be valuable to both sides regardless of whether there's any chance of it leading toward a managerial job at that time with that organization so the thing that really just i'm not really into and i want to make everything clear brandon and i love david ross like you couldn't find a better person better face for the franchise which is why this is going to be so darn exciting and so darn fun like there's going to be a lot of extra juice going into this year the new marquee channel the new tv deal with you're gonna have to buy this new channel in order to watch cubs games they need to have a little bit of excitement especially when we'll see what ends up happening this offseason but there might not end up being too much to get excited about in terms of roster changes another subject that we, we will touch on later in this show but i think david ross brings a lot of juice a lot of excitement and I want to make it clear, I think he's a great analyst. I think he's a he has the potential to be a great manager. He was a great teammate. So I'm not going to dismiss him. However, I will say he would not have been my number one choice for this job. Would the Cubs announced that they were not bringing back Joe Madden. Brandon, was would Ross have been your number one choice? Or was there someone that they interviewed, one of these other guys? Or... Just someone that they didn't even talk to that you think would have filled those shoes better than Ross? I don't know if there's one specific name. I think that this hire just makes me nervous because it seems a little too convenient that the one guy that is the most qualified to manage the Chicago Cubs is a guy who's never done it before, who has never coached before, <laughs> and who happens to be a fan favorite in yeah. Chicago. Uh, and a guy that was a certainly a key part from a leadership standpoint of winning the World Series. But there's a huge difference from being a backup catcher that is a voice in the locker room that a coach sometimes can't be and making that type of impact as a player there's a huge difference between that and managing in the team. So there maybe no, isn't one candidate that I point toward as uh, being the guy. I mean, but I do think there's a happy medium between recycling these same guys, Dusty Baker or somebody, you know, these type of guys that have had numerous managerial jobs before and then going with the former player that has never coached in any capacity. So I think across major league baseball i'd like to see some type of medium between those two yeah where you're not recycling these guys that have had tr uh, chance after chance uh that are just antiquated at this point but you're not going with this total wild card 
that you feel like you really don't know what you're getting. And I would have been, I would have, I was compelled by Joe Girardi. He's a guy with um, winning experience as a manager. But if you're going to go with Joe Girardi, it's like, uh, what is setting him apart from Joe Madden? So I think Ross is actually different enough from Joe Madden where this makes sense. Uh, and I do think you need to change from Joe Madden. But at the same time, it just makes me nervous that I hate that they really do their due diligence to make sure that this guy is the top candidate available for this job. Or was the scope a little too narrow where you're interviewing too many internal candidates for a team that's wanting to uh, change, kind of recreate a culture but change a culture from what it's been the last couple of years and move on from 2016? And half the candidates you're interviewing are internal candidates. And uh, the, the really one big name on that list was Joe Girardi, who was a former Cub. So I think I was kind of in his camp. I'm excited for the Ross era, but I'm just not sold on it yet. Okay, very interesting. That's that's well said. So I would say the thing with David Ross, and we're get we're airing out these concerns that we have and criticisms, minor criticisms. Where neither of us hate this hire, um, although I do think there was a better candidate for the job. But I think the thing that and we'll, we're going to see they're going to have a press conference on Monday to uh, announce him and he will be addressed. Theo will take the podium. He'll take some questions. So I'm curious to see what words that the front office uses to spin this, because what I don't like is the the actions not matching the words used by this front office when they let go of Joe Madden because they said Theo said this team needs a new voice in my opinion a new voice is not a guy who's been employed by the organization for the last five years a new voice is a like David Ross has been with the Cubs technically he well, they came around the same they came the same offseason so they were with the organization for the same amount of time so I don't see that as a new voice especially someone who worked in the front office closely with the general manager and the VP Theo Epstein. So that's where I don't really like the way that this was presented, because I think if you talk about, we want to get a new voice, then you bring in someone from outside of the organization. So in my opinion, it's a little bit of while there are differences and we're going to probably hear about those differences on Monday, what they see that's so great about David Ross compared to Joe Madden and why it's going to be different, they haven't verbalized it well to this point because based on their rationale of we want a new voice, to me it just communicates, all right, well then why not just keep Joe Madden if we're kind of going in the direction of someone who's already here? Yeah, I think the other part that I agree with you, I think the other part that contradicts itself is Theo has given the impression that, hey, we need to move on from 2016. Yeah. We need to recreate maybe that hunger of uh, not having won a World Series here in Chicago. But you bring in a guy who is not only was part of that, but is so well known for that, that it's going to make it impossible to move on from 2016 and pretend like the Cubs have never won a World Series. Um, so I think a lot of the the statements were kind of contradictory and i am a yeah, the, here's the funny thing is on one hand jack i think that joe madden 
it had worn out his welcome. I think that it was just time for a change. Guys had become complacent with Joe there, maybe too comfortable. Joe was a little too laid back, and the front office was getting irritated by the fact that Joe didn't seem to care if the Cubs won or lost in some ways. He was almost too even-keeled. Brandon, it's all about interpersonal relationships, man. Right. The same, <laughs> the same thing they praised. The same thing the front office praised Joe for when they brought him in, um, kind of creating this laid-back vibe that uh, helped the Cubs break the curse of the hundred years um, because they didn't feel the pressure. They didn't let the pressure exceed the pleasure under Joe. But then it almost like that went too far. Once you've already won the World Series, now. Uh, they just didn't have that edge under Joe that they wanted. And I see that to a certain degree. But also there's part of me that just thinks the fan base uh, and just Chicago sports fans across all sports in general uh, spit up and chew out coaches or yes. managers, no matter who it is. Quarterbacks, like, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, can you, how many can you name across sports that fans actually still like by the end of their time there? So it's almost like, are you – is change always good? And do you always have to start hating the guy who is coaching your team? Like, I, I feel like there's some, a lot of Cub fans that didn't, but some that had did completely turn on Joe Madden by the end of his time in Chicago. And these, those same Cub fans loved Dusty Baker in 2003 and turned on him <laughs> a few years later. Um, they, they loved, uh, Lou Pinella in 2008 and turned on him by the the time he retired. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a very difficult thing to manage anywhere and certainly in Chicago. So the big question going forward is when will Cub fans turn on David Ross? Because we know it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, that part's kind of sad about David very Ross sad. becoming the manager because it was almost nice to just have him be that backup catcher that hit a home run in Game 7 yeah. of the World Series that could live on in Cub lore as a hero of the fan base. And now uh, we'll see if he remains a hero for the Chicago Cubs. So here's what I want to do, Brandon. We are talking about our critiques here. And I think when we finish this, because I still got a couple more, um, I don't know if you have anything else to add on this, but at the end, then we're going to finish with the positive, because I think there are some positives here. How's that sound? Sure. Sounds great. What else do you got, Jack, uh, as far as critiques? Yeah, so you did touch on this a little earlier. I think there's the problem with this move that, or I guess I shouldn't say the definite problem, but where this move could become problematic is just the natural culture of the team. It's going to be, you did say this about if he's got to take Lester out of a game or he's got to tell Javi Baez or Chris Bryant, look, you got to run that ball out. And they're just like, oh, Grandpa Rossi, oh, you're funny. And he's like, I'm serious. You have to run that out. So he eventually he's going to have to have a defining moment like that early on because if you're a manager, it doesn't matter if the players like you. Players can like you. That can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. It's not like that's the ultimate thing. The players got to respect you, though. And so I think it's really important for him to set the tone early in some fashion where these guys, while they can look at him as a friend, look at him as a disciplinarian type because that seems to be what the Cubs want to move to because they made the move away from Joe Madden, who was not dis- not disciplinarian in any way. And this team did not have any veterans after Joe Madden or, or after David Ross retired. 
So I think he's going to need to set up some boundaries in that way, and that's going to be difficult to do. And then the other concern that I have is just in terms of culture, the guys who are new to the team who don't have a pre-existing relationship with David Ross as their teammate, how are they going to feel? Because naturally there are going to be some guys who it's going to feel like they're the insiders and then others who are the outsiders. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's going to be interesting how does he navigate those challenges. And I'm sure we're going to get an explanation on Monday when Theo and David Ross address the media but it will be a difficult uh, line to walk because David Ross will have those relationships with the Chris Bryants and the Anthony Rizzo's and the John Lester's of the world. And then there will be guys who weren't on that team that don't have the pre-existing relationship and will only know David Ross as a manager. This won't be an issue if Ross sticks around beyond the uh, for long term. This won't be an issue the rest of his career in Chicago, but it will be for the first few years, I think. How do you navigate uh, that where maybe certain guys feel too comfortable with you and you're coming off a culture already where people feel like Joe Madden wasn't enough of a disciplinarian. How does somebody who was the backup catcher on your team a couple years ago suddenly yeah. become that guy? It's so much different as a player. People say he was that guy as a player and that's what was missing in 2017 once he had retired. And I believe that, but you need that from coming from a player yeah. and what that takes from a player is much different from what that takes as a manager. I mean, were some of these other guys who have recently retired as players and become managers, that type of guy as a player, not necessarily. So I think his personality and style and uh, everything as a manager is yet to be determined. I don't think you can take anything as far as what he did during his playing career and assume that that's going to carry over to managing. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that because I think about some of these guys like Alex Cora and Aaron Boone, and they, to me, I thought their reputation as players was very laid back, very even keel, not really, like, I can't, I just couldn't picture Alex Cora as a player being the guy that just starts getting in people's faces and stuff like that. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know what goes on in those clubhouses, but, and he won a World Series in his first year as a rookie manager without a whole lot of experience. So, yeah, it's that is a really interesting point because a guy could be one personality as a player, but that could be entirely different as a coach. Yeah, when you look at uh, former Cubs bench coach Davey Martinez uh, on the verge of possibly winning a World Series, I mean, I think yeah. it just shows you that one thing that kind of, I guess – changes this whole conversation but how important is it really who the manager of the team is and i think the importance of the role is certainly decreasing as a whole so as much as we're going to spend all this time discussing yeah. whether or not david ross is the right manager of the chicago cubs i think it's clear that theo wants to take more control of the team and that's the way every president and general manager and baseball operations department i think is trending right now all right, so let's finish up on David Ross, and then we're going to talk about a manager who I'm a very big fan of joining the Philadelphia Phillies organization, uh, and we can transition to that and some of the other news going on. And then, actually, we could, you know, before with that, let's talk about so let's talk about the positives with David Ross, and let's talk about briefly what we expect to see this winter from the front office. So. 
what are some positives that you look at here, Brandon? I, I'm just thinking ahead of how exciting it's going to be. It's going to be opening day. We're going to see David Ross back in the Cubs uniform. I love that. I don't know why. I just love how the managers wear the players uniform. It's so, it's so weird, but it's so great in baseball to have that. And you just, it's weird to picture like Bill Belichick wearing a Patriots Jersey on the sidelines. You know, you just don't see that in other sports, but we're going to see David Ross in his old getup at Wrigley Field, and we're going to have that montage of him hitting the home run in the World Series and crying and celebrating, transitioning to his role with clips from this introductory press conference. That's going to be just really exciting for everyone, I think, when we get to that day. Yeah, Jack, I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about that. It'll be a special (laughs) moment to see David Ross manage the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. So I think from that fan side of it, I mean, you can't ask for any hot better hire than David Ross. It's gonna, and that's a big part of this. It's gonna do a great, it's gonna do great things for the Cubs' visibility, uh, for goodwill with the fan base after a tough couple years. Name a Cub fan that dislikes David Ross. I mean, there's nobody. So I think. It's it's great from that standpoint. And then talk about the two ways. Here are the two positives. It's the two ways that he won this job at the very end. It maybe wasn't what really got him the job. We knew it was his to lose from the get-go. But apparently the, the two things that were the clincher on the final yeah. interview up against Espada were a mock press conference and a mock talk with the team or like you know, talk to get the team fired up and so i think if he can do those two things well that's a big part of what managing is now it's dealing with the media and dealing with the players it's about relationships and people and i think ross is great in those areas that's the one thing that i think will carry over will he be a disciplinarian i don't know but will he be likable yes so i think likability is something that will definitely carry over from being a player to a manager so that likability factor i think is a positive positive to have in that role and I think Joe had a huge likability factor as well but Ross maybe even more so and uh, we'll be I think Ross will be great with the media and he'll push the narrative forward in a very positive way uh, just the whole cub narrative and so he's a guy that I think fans are going to be pumped to see in that position and he'll create kind of a renewed interest again and maybe that all of that synergy helps the Cubs perform well because it does recreate some of that excitement that was around the World Series team. Because when you can feel it from the fan base, I think that does make an impact. So I think just creating that type of synergy that David Ross will create almost through nothing that he will actually do as manager, I think is a huge positive for selecting David Ross. Yeah, I think it does give that big energy and boost going into the season. Now, the team is 8-16, and at the end of April and the team's not playing well. I mean, you you said it yourself. This city can turn on people really quickly and it's going to be sad when that happens. Now, we don't know if it's going to happen that soon or what, but it will happen eventually. So that's the sad part. I will say that we could make all kinds of assumptions about, you know, I know a lot of people are wondering, well, He's going to be traditional. He's not going to be about platoons. He's going to manage his pitching staff differently than Joe did. And maybe the pitching staff, maybe that happens. I mean, he was a former catcher. Maybe he has more of an inside track with that. But the truth is, 
We don't know. We don't know how he's going to manage. We have no idea. We need to hear it. We need to see it. But I don't think we can automatically assume that just because Joe's gone, that the Cubs aren't going to shuffle the deck every day, favor matchups and whatnot, because these managers who come in as a favorite of the front office, that they don't have to pay a lot, who functions as a puppet or whatever you want to call them, they end up favoring the analytics side. So they're typically all about all those splits. And so we don't know. We just don't know. We really don't know. The front office could have loved that about Joe, and they just didn't like the direction he was giving the team in the clubhouse. So I don't really think we can assume anything about his strategy or how he's going to do. We can just go off of everything we know about the guy. Yeah, that's a good point. Do we know for sure that Joe Madden was the one who loves shuffling the lineup? Yeah. Or maybe uh, you never know who is telling uh, someone what to do behind the scenes. It would be unexpected. It seems unlikely, given Joe's history as uh, being a guy who did like that type of stuff. But, hey, maybe a lot of that direction was coming from the front office. That we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Brandon, are you going to miss the uh, <laughs> the Binnie's commercials? Yeah, I'll miss the Pat Hughes and Joe Madden commercials, uh, <laughs> Benny's Beverage Depot. Uh, it's so ironic that Madden's is now open uh, right in, in yeah. Wrigleyville. I, I have not visited yet, so I look forward to visiting Madden's. Uh, I think I, I'm going to get a chance uh, to be there this off season in December. If not, certainly when the season comes. So that's kind of ironic, but yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, I will miss those commercials as well, and I'll miss uh, Joe's just quirkiness. I mean, he was entertainment value, but there's going to be huge entertainment value in David Ross as well. For sure. All right, Brandon. Uh, briefly, we've been on the Cubs for such a long period of time here, uh, and it's been so much fun. But briefly, I'm just going to say, and I'm going to hear what you think. I don't think the Cubs are going to do anything really drastic this offseason. And really, I think that that is going to be like if we look at blame and why the Cubs ended up falling short the last couple years, I would say about 65% of it was the roster construction and 35% on how the team was being led by the manager. So they did make a change, and we'll see what happens. But it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, especially with this Chris Bryant grievance hearing. If he is granted free agency a year earlier, we don't know what's going to happen. I would assume that it will not be the case. I've heard from many writers, people closer to the situation, that they will be very surprised if he is granted free agency a year early. But now if he only has a year left, that could change the plans. But let's just assume in this instance, you got two years left of Bryant. I ultimately don't think they're going to trade Chris Bryant. I don't think they're going to trade Javi Baez. I think they're a solid five or six guys that are pretty much a lock to stay on this roster. And then ultimately just two open positions. So we can talk through this here, Brandon. What do you think? Uh, I wouldn't say quite a lock uh, for Chris Bryant being with the Chicago Cubs on opening day. I mean, I think uh, the locks are Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez. And then beyond that, I think that 
is it out of the question for the Cubs to get really creative and make this huge splash where they unload one of the big names? I don't think it is by any means. But is it likely? I don't think it's that either. But I don't think Bryant's a lock to be back. Okay. Most, li- most likely he'll be there on opening okay. day, regardless of the outcome of that hearing. Now the big question is, if the Cubs do keep everybody intact, can they afford a, a, a big splash uh, this offseason, can they afford a Garrett Cole type of guy, which is obviously the marquee prize that uh, t- about 20 teams are interested in Garrett Cole yeah. right now for next season. And so I think they need that type of guy, honestly, in the pitching rotation. John Lester is getting older. Uh, he's not quite what he was in 2016. Uh, you Darvish had a great year, but you have a hard time counting on him to repeat his success from this season next year. Uh, you, you, Kyle Hendricks is solid, but he's not the ace of a team, maybe a number two there. Quintana is a number four or five starter. You, uh, the cost for him was way too considerable. They never should have made that trade. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, um, but I think the pitching has got to be what you look at if you're the Chicago Cubs. They need, if not a Garrett Cole, they need a number two type starting pitcher that they can acquire this offseason. Yeah, not the greatest strategy when your whole pitching staff is in their 30s and you've got a lot of bad contracts in there as well. So I think, Brandon, we I guess we maybe won't say a lock, but I do say I think realistically, I don't think Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Wilson Contreras, any of those four guys are going to get dangled and trade seriously. Um, now, if someone overwhelms you, now maybe something ends up happening, but I, I just, I would be very surprised if one of those four players is traded. And now, in addition to that, Jason Hayward's contract, you're not going to be able to trade that. You got Jason Hayward. He's your right fielder. Yeah. And you got to put him back in right field. I don't I don't really like him in center. I think he's an elite defensive player in right field. And on top of that, now you got Nicholas Castellanos, who did great and seemed to be the he was the best hitter for the Cubs the last two months of the season. Certainly you want to keep him. Uh so I think that means you got him. So that's six guys. So really, and I, I think what you gotta do with Castellanos, I think you gotta play him in left field uh for a full season. So then that really leaves Schwarber, Almora, Russell, and Hap, all as guys that you I, you could. I would not be surprised, Brandon, if none of those guys are on the roster in April. No, I'm, I agree with you. You've got to one. You have to find a way to be able to afford Castellanos. Uh, bringing him back, I think, is essential. It was such a boost for the Cubs, and those other guys are expendable. Not only are they expendable, they're probably not very valuable right now. So that's the one reason why maybe you hang on to some of them, see if their value goes back up. Maybe you can swap them at the trade deadline next year. But the Cubs just don't have enough room to showcase all those guys. Um, And they've underproduced. And those type of players have been the demise of the Chicago Cubs. I mean, Chris Bryant had a great year. The Cubs have a lot of star power on that team. But the secondary type guys have not performed nearly up to their capabilities and that's what uh, has hurt the chicago cubs so i think revamping some of that lineup with other complementary pieces would be big as well i don't need them to go out and get a rendon type of guy you're right uh, um how about it, uh how about scooter Jeanette at second base nice contact bat yeah uh he's hurt the cubs a lot over the years certainly <laughs> um uh, so i think that you 
could make some complimentary moves like that. And to do that, you've got to shuffle around some of those guys that are not your biggest marquee names, but have underperformed um, to the degree that the Almores and Haps and Russells have. Yeah, and I think the thing is that all all four of those guys that I note, I could all have very good careers in front of them and may benefit from a change of scenery. Yeah. It's very comparable for me. I think it's very similar to the Jorge Soler situation where there just wasn't a really a spot for the guy to play. And you were able to, in the American League, there are about six or seven teams that all of those guys could start on. They could walk onto the roster and they would get to play every day. It's kind of like Tommy LaStella who really blossomed as an everyday player. And I think each of those players could be put in a better position for them to succeed where there was less pressure, smaller, smaller market in Kansas city or uh, Seattle or, uh, you know, throw out Baltimore. I I don't know. Or they could go, they could go to LA and play for Joe. Yeah, they could. I'm sure (laughs) Al Mora would love that. Yeah. (laughs) No, but uh, Ian Happ. Oh my goodness. Joe would love to have Ian Happ. Yeah. He has Tommy LaStella now. So <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see, but I think the model is that Solaire trade. We could look at a guy, okay, he is not as peak. He's maybe 50, 75 cents on the dollar, but you might be able to get a, in. You might be able to trade for a guy who's on the last year of his contract who can step in and be of help in your bullpen. I think there, I think there are some... You might, I think you can get stuff in a trade featuring one or two of these players um, to a team that they are not. They look at the future and they say, "We can't re-sign this guy when he hits the free agent market in a year." Yeah, absolutely. Uh, more of the lower price guys in the bullpen. I like some of those guys that the Cubs brought in, and clearly the bigger name closers. Uh, they have two on your roster that have not worked <laughs> out so far. One who is barely ever healthy enough to pitch, and one who. Uh, who you paid a huge amount of money to to come in midseason and he clearly cost you some critical games so uh any yeah i'm up for anything that can acquire a few pieces in the bullpen yeah so i don't think we're gonna have this earth shattering move but i think they're gonna be some little moves and then we'll see maybe they make some maybe they end up making that big move at the deadline next year where if the season isn't going the way they expected maybe they're seller and maybe they do kind of like what the Yankees did a few years ago when they traded Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller and kind of restocked and reloaded. Maybe that's what they look at doing with Chris Bryant at that time because they look ahead at the future. Yeah, absolutely. I um, could definitely see that happening come trade deadline where you evaluate again and have a chance to make that big move one way or the other, either to put you over the top for a World Series run or you make that big earth-shattering move that breaks up the uh, big four or five of the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I think you'll. part of it also will be, we'll find out how good the division is. Will the Reds take a step in the right direction? Are the Cardinals going to be here to stay now? Um, are the Brewers going to have an even better year with Yelich healthy? Or are they going to regress with some of their free agents that they're losing? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to assess that, but I still don't think the Cubs are going to be sellers. This team is too <laughs> too talented yeah. to start to become sellers. So I think right. we'll see very much this Cub core intact. I don't think it's guaranteed. I'm not, especially with Bryant, there's that sliver of a doubt, but I think this core is going to be intact come opening day. 
Yeah. So I guess I guess what I was saying is I don't expect them to be sellers, but if we look at uh, the potential for one of those big trades to happen, I think it would end up being in that case if they were to get off to a slow start. Sure, it would definitely be at the deadline. It would be more likely than before the season, but I think most likely we'll see the we'll see that core through the end of next year at least. All right, Brandon, let's talk about a couple of these other hirings. So, I am going to share something here. I have met Joe Girardi a couple of times. He's a very good guy. And I know people who are very close to him. And I've met people over the years who have said that the Cubs job has always been his dream job. And look, this was the third time that he had been in consideration for this job. He turned it down last in 2013. And he also he applied for the job when they hired Lou Pinella back in 07 or going into the 07 season. So it's kind of in with the history of him being from Peoria, playing his college ball at Northwestern, uh, where he still visits. And one of my buddies played at Northwestern. And he visited and talked to the team a couple of times while he was the manager of the Yankees. He's got so many ties back here. I really think he wanted to come here. And this reminds me a little bit. Now, we'll end up seeing if it plays out the same way. But it reminds me a little bit of when Phil Jackson wanted to come back and manage the Lakers that year that they had Dwight Howard and Steve Nash and Kobe and Ron Artest, Pau Gasol. They had that really interesting bunch, and they fired Mike Brown early in the season. And the Lakers ended up saying, no, we're good. We're going to go our, a different way. We're going to bring in Mike D'Antoni. Didn't play out well for them. And now that obviously it's a little different because there wasn't the same kind of history there because Girardi has not managed the Cubs before, but he did play for them a couple of times. So I really think, Brandon, that he wanted this job. And the reason that he did not take another job was he wanted to see how this ended up playing out with the Cubs. But now here he is, Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, manager for the 2020 season yeah I mean it'll be interesting to see what happens in Philadelphia I'm interested to see who has the better team and manager between the Phillies the Angels and the Cubs going into next season but Joe Girardi clearly a guy who has won nearly a thousand games as a big league manager he's been around the block he knows how to perform the job but I think that he when it came down to it I'm, I believe that Theo and Jed saw too many similarities to Joe, the other Joe, the one they just got rid of, in that, hey, it's, here's an experienced manager that has his own agenda that wants to run the club his way versus a guy that Theo can mold his way. So uh, time will tell, but ultimately I, I out of the gate was in on Joe Girardi, but at the same time it's like the Cubs wanted to do – it their way the cub way that's the way theo's going to go out one for better or for worse uh they're going to do it the way they want to do it they're not going to do it the yankee way or the way that joe girardi wants to do it based on all his experience so i think that would may have been destined to fail for a lot of the same reasons that it would have been destined to fail to keep joe madden just because you have too many uh Chefs in the kitchen, I guess, would be the best analogy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd say it would be destined to fail, but it definitely, I do agree, I don't think that's what they wanted. I think they wanted someone that 
is a yes man that they could have more control over and they weren't going to get that with Girardi. Now, I do think there are a lot of differences in the ways that those two managers manage. Uh, so I think that while there are similarities, ultimately that just comes to that idea of a guy who has their own vision and it might not be the same vision as the front office. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it's the, it's kind of, that's probably the point of contention here that I think uh, ultimately was the difference. And look, the Cubs did give him a shot. He had detailed, long interviews. Yeah, eight the, hours. Right, the report, or the report that, I shouldn't say interviews, just one that we know of. But there was a report that hey, his interview was in, or not only a report, but photos. His interview he was dressed in a suit, very professional, versus Ross's where he was dressed in a sweater. So you could see the different <laughs> vibe of comfort level yeah. and kind of what vibe do the does the team want around the organization going forward? And so we kind of saw where they stood on that as well. Yeah. So the Phillies are in an interesting situation here. So I, I do think that I will say, I think Girardi was waiting to see what would happen with this Cubs job as other potential candidates were. And now I think the dominoes are starting to fall and we're going to get some moves here over these next few days because Girardi was kind of stalling on that. And now he goes to Philly immediately almost. And the Mets were hoping that maybe they could get Girardi. Now the Mets are going to have to hire someone. And maybe that's maybe they take someone who the the Royals were considering. So the, the dominoes are starting to fall here. But this is an interesting situation because the Phillies are tied down to some... I don't know if I want to call them bad, but some expensive contracts that is eventually going to limit them in one capacity or another. Now, I'm sure they're they're going to be in on Garrett Cole, and they almost need to be with their pitching staff. Their pitching staff, really disappointed. They went all in on three pitchers that they've been waiting to turn the corner for a few years now, and it just has not come. So they're going to need some pitching help. But this front office was kind of in a position where it's like, all right, enough messing around. We have to go for one of these veteran managers. We did the Kapler thing. It didn't work. We got to go the other way, and we can't mess around, especially when we have these this many veterans on our roster in addition to young players. So that's how, I mean, they were considering him, Buck Showalter, and Dusty Baker. Yeah, that's kind of comical, isn't it? <laughs> it almost sounds like a, a joke. Dusty Baker, Joe Girardi, and Buck walk into a bar. Yeah, is this 2019 <laughs> or 2009? <laughs> yeah, um, it'll be interesting. I mean, certainly I think the Cub job was more appealing for multiple reasons. A lot of what you outlined there, coupled with the obvious appeal of being close to home and being in Chicago. So you know that he's already going into a spot where, hey, he actually wanted to be in Chicago. Now he's in Philadelphia, and he's not in that marquee job to the level of the Cubs. And certainly Ross is inheriting a far better team, uh, I think, than what he's inheriting and a far better situation. So we'll see. Yeah. It'll be interesting. We will see in other managerial news. The Padres have hired their next manager, Jace Tingler. Uh, great name. Sounds like, I feel like he should be a dancer or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that's certainly a name that uh, I had not heard before he got the Padres managerial job. So. 
Yeah, I believe he has uh, a little bit of experience in player development, maybe. A very young manager, too. I mean, it's just crazy to see the trend continue of guys that are even sub-40 now getting managerial jobs. There will certainly be players on his team older than him. Yeah, and I look at this Padres job as an interesting one because I'm just someone who would love to live in San Diego in general. It's just an awesome place. Um, great weather, uh, not a lot of pressure from the fans or media. So I think this is desirable because this team can only go up from where they are. But not by the same token, this team, I think they were expecting this team to do a lot more than what they did th- this past year where they ended up finishing in dead last of their division with 92 losses. And I just think that they were expecting to they're expecting to have a bigger year. They made the went out and got Machado. They gave Eric Hosmer a lot of money and some of those young players, maybe they're expecting a bigger leap from some of them, but there's a lot of young talent. So it's kind of interesting because you think it's low pressure, but there also is going to be some pressure because this could potentially be the last manager that AJ Preller gets to name because I think their ownership group is starting to get a little impatient. They thought this rebuild, uh, they'd be further along in their rebuild by now. Yeah, it's clear that when you've been bad for as many years in a row as they have, that hourglass is starting to tick. So in some ways, you're going into a low-pressure environment from maybe a media and fan standpoint compared to a big market team. But that doesn't mean it's a low-pressure environment from an ownership standpoint. And at the end of the day, that's what really matters. If your management is starting to feel the pressure, that uh, your direct report is starting to feel that pressure, no matter what organization you're talking about whether it's sports or not that pressure starts to trickle down so that is a spot where you feel like there is a desire to win soon and it's a team that has a long way to go to get there yeah certainly that will be the case i one thing i am excited about the padres it's gonna be fun to watch taylor Trammell hopefully get the call up next year i think that guy's gonna be a stud yeah i'm excited uh, to see him as well i've read and heard some uh, good things Yeah. Let's talk about managerial hiring that we had that I know you're excited about. Joe Madden in LA. Pretty cool story with his history with the organization. Now, finally coming back and getting the opportunity to manage. This is going to be an interesting team to follow from the beginning of spring training on. Oh, it's going to be fun. I mean, to I'm kind of, it's one of those things where, hey, The good news is if you're a Joe Madden fan like I am, now you have two teams to kind of follow closely (laughs) because I'm excited to see what happens with Ross and the Cubs, but I'm just as excited to follow Madden and the Angels. And if Joe, and Joe actually had his press conference today, Jack, and said his dream scenario is beating the Chicago Cubs in the World Series. (laughs) Um, So, I mean... Maybe not the dream scenario for Cub fans, but Cub fans would love to see him get there. <laughs> and it is interesting that how quickly Joe Madden was picked up and certainly has ties to the Angels organization and goes back to his time as Mike Sosha's bench coach and right-hand man in Anaheim. But it was interesting that for all the talk about how these old-school managers are going to be phased out, Joe Madden is a guy who 
found a job quicker than the Cubs found a replacement for him. So true. Uh, you look at how quickly a team picked him up, and basically he went to his first choice of where he wanted to go manage. If it weren't in Chicago, it would be for the Los Angeles Angels. Um, so I think that it'll be fun to follow that team and see what he's able to do. And by the way, he has the best player in baseball and the best player in a long time. So that's a team that could win right away. It would, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Angels are world champions before the next Cub World Series. <laughs> you know, I, I, we could see some. I'm trying to think if there's a comparison, uh, but I was trying to think if there's been a Chicago coach or manager who got run out of town and then ends up having more success in another place and then the fans end up being like, oh, man, that was pretty great. Why would we ever do that? But I'm not – can you think of anything like that in Chicago recently? Not really. I mean, the the Cubs playing against Dusty Baker in the, uh, <laughs> in the playoffs had a certain irony to it. And I think when they did play him and beat him in Washington, there was a chance where that would have been the matchup uh, the year prior. And in the league championship series, had it yeah. been the uh, Nationals instead of the Dodgers? And what irony would that have been? When if for the Cubs to go to the World Series, it would have came down to Dusty Baker on the other side after everything that had happened in 2003. That's yeah. the closest. I mean, for a big game matchup, and it certainly Cub fans weren't wishing to have Dusty Baker back. But yeah, I, I can't think of a time where uh, you know the the. Bears aren't looking at the fighting Illini of Illinois and saying, man, I wish we had Lovey Smith back or anything like well, that. Well, I do think, yeah, I do think there were some Bears fans who eventually during those Trestman years or John Fox who were like, oh man, Lovey wasn't that bad. Like I'm kind of miss Lovey. But the, the thing is, is Lovey wasn't out doing anything all that exciting at the time that made it super obvious i mean they did beat wisconsin this past week and by yeah. the way former valpo wide receiver caught a touchdown pass he had transferred to illinois so there's your valpo connection there wow no Smith. way like, yeah wow that's really cool yeah so it'll be interesting you know one other thing i did see a report yesterday or some speculation some people think that garrett cole is going to end up with his Southern California ties, he's going to end up in a, an Angels uniform next year. So that'll be something interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, that, that could potentially be a team that could do some damage when you have a World Series winning type manager, a uh, Cy Young type pitcher, and a and certainly an MVP uh, in Mike Trout. That's quite the combination. That's a good starting point right there. <laughs> Yes, for sure. Do you have you paid attention to any of these other potential? Uh, well, I guess they they are openings, but potential managing hirings that we could see. I, the Mets situation is very interesting because they went away from Mickey Calloway, who I Mickey Calloway only got two years in New York, and I thought they, I thought they overachieved this year by winning. Oh, well over eighty-one games. They were I, I want to say around 84, 85 wins. Um, which is a team that I did not expect that kind of success from. And their young players develop nicely. So you think when you fire Mickey Calloway, you're going to make the big splash. You're going to get one of these veteran managers like Girardi. Um, but I don't think that's a super appealing situation just from an employment standpoint because I don't look at the Mets as 
an organization of stability. I look at them as an organization of dysfunction. Yeah, I would steer clear of uh, that job if I had other options. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I've just never liked the Mets, and they've been dysfunctional for quite a while. So um, I, I am interested. Supposedly there was like a mystery candidate. There was some speculation that Jessica, yeah. Mendo- Jessica Mendoza from ESPN might be the mystery candidate. Oh, really? I didn't uh, see that speculation. And then it was shot down. So um, <laughs> there's some like long shot mystery candidate out there apparently i haven't seen if that has been revealed yet for the mets job but i don't think it has been i was i see john Heyman was tweeting about that earlier but yeah eduardo perez could also make a similar move from the booth to managing he's in the mix here with the mets and he could be with some other teams i also have heard i haven't heard anything about the royals job since uh they ended up Ned Yost ended up retiring, but with the Royals job, there was some talk earlier about Mike Matheny making the move over from St. Louis to Kansas City. Yeah, that would be compelling. That could be a good spot for him. I mean, to resurface in a low-pressure environment somewhere that's uh, not uh, not far from home and could be a good situation for him. It'll be interesting to see how many of these teams go with guys that are resurfacing a la Joe Girardi or and how many of these teams go with the Padre and Cub type hires of guys who are kind of from off the board into managerial spots. Yeah, and the one other job, uh, we got the Giants is another one. Is there another one besides that that I'm forgetting that hasn't been filled yet? Uh, I think you covered them. Okay, Giants have been in talks with Gabe Kapler, uh, so that that's an interesting one. But Espada is, if I were to pr- make a prediction, I think Espada is definitely going to get a managerial job. Um, and I, I, if I were him and I got to pick a front office, San Francisco or New York, I would go. I would go over to San Francisco. I think Farhan Saidi and what that organization has been able to do while they are now in a rebuild, I would have a lot more trust in them hiring me, especially with them staying the course with Bruce Bochy for 11, 12 years. I would much rather go there than the New York Mets organization. Yeah, I think the Mets, again, I would just stay clear. I'd much <laughs> rather go a lot of places than in the New York <laughs> Mets organization. I mean, how can, oh, the, how can a the big pi- market team have that many issues? Yeah, the Pirates. <laughs> Yeah, Pirates. Yeah. So Espada could be in play in Pittsburgh, too. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. Beltron has been emerging as a candidate for the Mets. Yeah. You know, it'll be really interesting just like if you're the Cubs to see how the Cubs do compared to all these other teams because you're going to have uh, Espada out there managing somebody. You're going to have Girardi out there managing somebody. You're going to have Madden, obviously, with the Angels, and, and Girardi's obviously the Phillies. But these some of these other candidates, say Mark Loretta yeah. goes somewhere. Yeah. Uh, all these guys, even, Kepler, Belch- even Beltran, Kapler, yeah. These are guys the Cubs could have had any of them. So we will get we will wait and see who ends up not only being better with their next team but you know one of these guys is going to go on to this legendary managerial career and it's going to be like oh what could have been had the Cubs <laughs> hired a spada so we'll see well Bochi uh I don't remember what ended up happening but he was out on the market at the same time the Cubs picked Lou Pinella. yeah so there you go <laughs> yeah it happens all right Brandon we only got a couple minutes left here so I'm just going to need a couple of quick thoughts are you enjoying this World Series? I am. I mean, competitive up until the seventh inning of Game 2 where things 
uh, really turned into a one-sided affair. Some bad baseball in game one where you get two base running mistakes in one play that kind of dictated the game. You'd hate to see you say hate to see that happen in the World Series. But overall, a compelling matchup between two teams that aren't those teams that everybody's sick of seeing and two organizations that have been sound in recent years. So I think it's fun. They're not uh, they're not tiny markets. I mean, it's our nation's capital, for goodness sakes, and it's uh, it's Houston, Texas. But they're not those big New York, Chicago, Boston, L.A. type teams that I think people kind of grow tired of seeing on in this type of spotlight. So it's a fun matchup, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. That's Those are good points. I also just really enjoy about baseball, where you can have in this sport, a team could pay $330 million for the services of Bryce Harper, and the team that loses him can end up winning more games without him than with him and go to the World Series and win eight straight playoff games and now be heading back to Washington, D.C. with three straight games at home. I mean, what 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 a great story that is, in addition to the fact that this team has never won a World Series, never won a playoff series before this year. Yeah, there are fun storylines in baseball, and it is so hard to have a dynasty in baseball, and that kind of relates back to the Cubs as well. Uh, fans thought it was going to be so easy to go to the World Series every year once uh, once they had done it. I mean, it was special that they went to the LCS in 2015, 2016, and 2017. That you rarely see, unless you're the Dodgers who get there every year and lose. Uh, but I mean, that was quite the run. That was kind of what a dynasty is right now, is getting to the LCS three years in a row yeah. and winning one World Series. Otherwise, we're seeing different teams that can have the potential to be competitive each year. Uh, teams like the Nationals and Astros have been very strong in recent years, particularly the Astros, but they aren't those powerhouses that we're maybe used to seeing. Uh, so I think so many storylines with it, and that's what makes it fun. Yeah, it's been great. Okay, last question I have for you, Brandon. How are you liking Survivor? 39, Survivor Island of the Idols. Yeah, we both love Survivor. This season, I actually really like it so far. I was a little skeptical of this twist with Sandra and Boston Rob being brought back, and I still think it's a little gimmicky. It's uh, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where it's being forced into the game, and like it makes no sense that, con- that the contestants are keeping it a secret that they're there because them being there really would have no impact on the rest of the tribe strategy. They could keep other parts of the visit secret while still mentioning that they're there. And it's clear that that lie is going to be uncovered by anyone else who goes there. So it seems very much like production wants it to be a secret that they're on the island. I think aside from that, and it is always fun to see them have some screen time. Aside from that twist that is better than some of the recent twists, but I still don't love. I really like the cast and the season. Um, I think that there are some compelling characters. There's not the one or two characters that stand out, but the screen time has been pretty well balanced. And there's yeah. been there's been some good character development. And there have been a lot of weeks where there was only one challenge, which I think is great. I do not like reward challenges whatsoever. I like that time being yeah. spent at camp. So uh, I, I really have enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. And I think what's kind of cool first of all i'll say is the survivor that we grew up watching and that we came to know and we love 
I don't know if that's ever going to come back. I think we're kind of, we're at this point where we're going to have some sort of a gimmick every season. It just happens when you stay in Fiji permanently and the show's focus and kind of what they're going for. But at the end of the day, I, at a certain point, I gave up on wanting the old Survivor to come back and just being like, all right, well, what can we have that's fun? What's going to be entertaining? And this has been entertaining. I did not think that some of these recent twists that we've had have been entertaining in the slightest. Uh, I'm looking at you, Ghost Island, but <laughs> I like this. This is a better version of Ghost Island because now you have some sort of interactions and funny scenes instead of someone like playing a game and then they cry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do like it better than some of those other ones. And I, I'm obviously, I think everybody is really excited for season 40 to see yeah. the all winners season. And uh, having the Boston Robin Sandra involved in this season leads into that well, starts to build some momentum for it. And obviously it gave them some extra motivation to come back for that winter season. One other thing I have really enjoyed about the season. I love the little booth that the Robin Sandra have at tribal where they just get to watch the tribal and make jokes about it and comment on it. Do you know the story about how that came about, Brandon? I don't. It kind of reminds me of a uh, Tony spy shack. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually, it was Jimmy Fallon's idea. Jimmy Fallon is a huge survivor fan and he's given Jeff Probst ideas over the years. And Jeff actually was, you know, how much he loved when he talked about the Tyler Perry idol. He's been, he hasn't talked about it quite as much, but he, he has given credit to Jimmy Fallon. He said, Jimmy Fallon was like, it would be really funny if you had some former players just watch Tribal Council and make commentary on it. And we're seeing that and I enjoy it. Yeah, that part is funny. I do enjoy that part of the twist. And it's going to be interesting to see, like, is there a point where they're revealed? Like, once everybody knows that they're there, are they still going to secretly hide in that little uh, booth and watch Tribal Council? Or are they just going to uh, be with the jury by the end of the season uh, watching it publicly? So, I don't know. Yeah, we'll find out. It will be interesting. You know what else I like is the fact that having that thing and just the tone that Rob and Sandra bring is that the show doesn't isn't taking itself too seriously where I think a lot of the time Survivor gets really into this like oh my gosh Suri is going across the balance beam this is the most inspirational thing ever <laughs> whereas it's, it's just got a lighter funner tone and that's something that ultimately I really like about this season so far. Yeah, I think there have been times where, and it's so important, I enjoy some of the maybe social issues faced mm -hmm. by Survivor or the uniting people that are from different backgrounds. That's really appealing. But that also, I think, at times has been overplayed where it just doesn't seem authentic at times. So I think to just have it be humorous and not try to be the, not try to solve the world's problems on Survivor <laughs> is sometimes a good thing. Yeah, it's like, it seems like in recent years, it's been more far-fetched where it's like they're at tribal council. I just remember there was a scene in Millennials versus Gen X where Jeff's like, so when you Gen Xers, when you text someone, do you write LOL or do you actually write laughing out loud? And how do you think this compares between the gap between Millennials and Gen X? It was like, what? <laughs> what are we doing like here? <laughs> I kind of like when the theme isn't something that's going to be pushed over the top. Like yeah. it's kind of like uh, when 
when you're covering a game, okay? I can't, you can't go into a game knowing what you want your story to be about. You have to let the game play out and then tell the story as it's playing out. Uh, same thing with Survivor. It's like uh, it feels like they're deciding what their story is going to be for certain seasons and then forcing whatever happens into that narrative instead of just telling the narrative as it happens. So, Yeah, well said, Brandon. All right, Brandon, you knocked it out of the park today. Thank you so much for joining me. This was so much fun. I'm going to have to have you on another time. Thanks. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Always fun talking about the Cubs and about about other topics and uh, good catching up. So call anytime. (laughs) For sure. Is there anything that you would like to promote while you're here? Give out your social media handles on Twitter, anything of that nature? Yeah, you can follow me at, at Brandon Vickery on Twitter. Uh, you can read my work on ValpoAthletics.com, uh, doing, providing all your sports info needs for Valpo Athletics. It's a cro- crossover season coming up here, basketball getting underway. Still have football and, and men's soccer out of the sports that I handle going from the fall. So it's an exciting time and uh, looking forward to getting into the winter season and basketball season here at Valpo. Yes, it's a great time of year for sure. I look forward to coming to some games. Can't wait to have you. All right. Thank you so much, Brandon. Really appreciate it. Always fun, Jack. So that does it for my conversation with Brandon Vickery. Had a great time talking Cubs and other offseason managerial stuff. A little bit of the World Series in there and Survivor. Hope you enjoyed everything that we threw at you right there. So fun episode. If you enjoyed what you heard today and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the Jack Vita show on iTunes. Leave me a five-star rating and review helps a lot with getting this podcast out to the general public and growing it. And that's something that I really hope that I'm able to do. Follow me on Twitter at Jack Vita show. Tweet me your thoughts. Tell me what you think about this David Ross hiring and where the Cubs go from here, as well as what these other teams end up doing this offseason. It should be a lot of fun, really interesting to follow. So you can go and check that out. Coming up, I will have a an NBA preview show coming up on the podcast, as well as a World Series recap with Chad Vaughrine from the Cheap Seats podcast on iTunes. So plenty of stuff to look out for as well as my interview with Leslie Nice from Survivor China. So lots of great stuff happening right now. Lots to be excited about. Enjoy this World Series. Enjoy the rest of these playoffs. Enjoy the rest of this baseball season. It's a little sad that we're coming up here towards the end. It's been a great season. I appreciate all of you for following along this whole way. So until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>